Thank you for joining me on another episode of Keeping It Real. This is Jay. So do you have habits, bad ones, maybe you want to delete, get rid of? Do you want to develop good habits in the place of some bad ones? Or maybe some new habits altogether? Understanding why and how this can be done can be very helpful. So... Today's episode is all about habits and how you can achieve doing just what I'm talking about. We want to increase the good habits and delete the bad ones because habits are habitual. They're almost automatic. They're subconscious. Once you do them enough, it becomes like a program that is automatically run in your brain. So, Let's get into this, starting now. Now, now. Habits can produce big results. Let's imagine a plane taking off from Los Angeles and it's en route to New York. If during takeoff, the pilot decided to adjust the course 3.5 degrees to the south, the plane's nose would move just a few feet. Outside of the cockpit, No one on board would notice the small movement, but over the course of a journey across the country, the impact would change considerably, and the confused passengers would arrive on a plane in Washington, D.C., not New York. Then, of course, it would be pretty noticeable, right? We don't notice tiny changes because they immediately don't impact us or it's negligible where you see it taking place during the day. If you're out of shape today and you go for a 20 minute jog, you'll still be out of shape tomorrow. Yes, it doesn't happen that quickly. Conversely, eat a family sized pizza for dinner. It won't make you overweight tonight, but if you repeat that small behavior day after day, After day, the choices compound into major results. It's likely you'll have gained considerable weight after a year of eating a pizza every night, right? Yeah. So, let's go back to the jogging. If you do 20 minutes every day, instead of just that one time, well, eventually you're going to be leaner and fitter, You wouldn't have noticed it, like immediately, but after a month or two, yes, changes are happening. If you want to make positive change in your life, you should recognize that change requires patience as well as confidence that your habits are keeping you on the right trajectory, even if you aren't seeing immediate results and that's very difficult since immediate gratification is so popular nowadays that's the society we live in everything is i want it now i should be able to get it now 
There's a service for everything that will immediately deliver you or give you whatever you want at any given moment, it seems like. So if you find that your behaviors and habits don't seem to be paying off, try to focus on the current trajectory rather than your current results. If you have a little bit of money in your bank, but you're saving something every month, then you can be confident that the trajectory is right. Your result may not be great, but keep going in this direction. And in a few months or a few years, you're going to notice a major improvement. Your bank account will be fatter. By contrast, a millionaire who outspends his earnings each month may not be worried about his bank bank statements from one month to the next, but in the end, the trajectory he's on will catch up with him and he will go bankrupt. The key is to making big changes in your life. It doesn't involve a major upheaval. You don't need to revolutionize your behavior or reinvent yourself as a person. Rather, you can make tiny changes to your behavior, which with repeated behavior, doing it time and time again, it becomes a habit that then leads to a big result. So habits are automated behaviors we've learned from experience. I mentioned this earlier, automation. So habits are very much a form of automation from repeatedly just doing the same thing over and over again. When you walk into a dark room, you don't think about what to do next. You instinctively start reaching out for a light switch, right? It's a habit. It's a behavior that you've repeated so many times. It's now instinctual. It happens automatically. So how are habits formed? Well, Our brain figures out how to respond to new situations through a process of trial and error. 19th century psychologist Edward Thorndike famously demonstrated this with an experiment where cats were placed in a black box. Unsurprisingly, each cat immediately tried to escape from the box, sniffing at its corners, clawing at the walls. Eventually, the cat would find a lever that, when pressed, would open a door, enabling escape. Thorndike then took the cats that successfully escaped and repeated the experiment. His findings, well, after being put in the box a few times, each cat learned the trick. Rather than scrambling around for a minute or more, the cats went straight to the lever. After 20 or 30 attempts, the average cat could escape in just six seconds. In other words, the process of getting out of the box had become habitual. Cool experiment. Animals, they learn habits too. You've probably seen this if you have a dog or a cat or any other kind of animal around your house. Thorndike had discovered that behavior that gives satisfying consequences, in this case gaining freedom, tend to be repeated until they become automatic. Like cats in the 19th century, we also stumbled across satisfying solutions to life's difficulties and predicaments. And thankfully, we now understand a little more about how habits work. Habits begin with a cue or a trigger to act. Walking into a dark room cues you to perform an action that will enable sight 
Next comes a craving for a change in the state. In this case, to be able to see. Then comes the response or action. Finding the light switch and flicking it on. The final step is the process, the end goal of every habit. It's the reward. Here, it's the feeling of mild relief and comfort that comes from being able to see your surroundings. Otherwise, you stay confused, scared, not knowing if you're going to fall over something, whatever. So every habit is subject to the same process. Do you habitually drink coffee every morning? Well, waking up is your cue, triggering a craving to feel alert. Your response is to drag yourself out of bed and make a cup of coffee or open a Red Bull or a Bang or something of this sort. Your reward is feeling alert and ready to face the world from the stimulant. But of course, not all habits are good for us. Now that we understand how habits work, let's look at building positive ones that improve our lives. So habits are about building a hard-to-miss cue and a plan of action. All of us have cues that trigger certain habits. The buzz of your phone, for example, is a cue to check your messages. Or it's a phone call coming in for you to answer it. And once you understand that certain stimuli can promote habitual behavior, you can use this knowledge to change your habits. How, you say? Well, one way is to change your surroundings and general environment to encourage better habits. Yes, if you're stuck doing bad fucking things, then try to change some things in your surroundings to help you. Just take the work of Boston-based doctor Ann Thorndike. She wanted to improve her patients' dietary habits without requiring them to make a conscious decision. How the hell did she pull that off? She had the hospital cafeteria rearranged. Originally, the refrigerators next to the cash register contained only soda. Great in a hospital. Just wonderful choice. Sugar. Sugar fucking carbonated pile of shit. Thorndike introduced water into the container. Not only there, but at every other drink station. Over three months, soda sales dropped by 11%, while water sales shot up by 25%. People were making healthier choices just because the cue to drink water rather than soda was more prominent. Easier access, you see? Easy. Easy. We want easy in our life. I mentioned this at the beginning. We are a society of immediate gratification, so make things easy. So simple changes to our environment can make a big difference. Want to practice guitar? Leave the instrument out in the center of the room. Trying to eat healthier snacks? Leave them on the counter. Instead of hiding them away in the cupboard or something. Make your cues as obvious as possible and you'll be more likely to respond to them is the point. A second great way to strengthen cues is to use implementation intentions. Most of us tend to be too vague about our intentions. We say, I'm going to eat better. Well, what the fuck does that mean? I mean what's your plan? What's your, how are you doing that? You got a strategy? No, you're just simply hoping that you're going to follow through. 
an implement an implementation intention introduces a clear plan of action setting out when and where you'll carry out the habit you'd like to cultivate and research shows that that's the way it works A study of voters in the United States found that the citizens who were asked the question, at what time will you vote and how will you get to the voting station, were more likely to actually turn out than those who were just asked if they would vote. See, because they had everything clearly mapped out by the question. You can't be vague. So don't just say, I'll run more often. Say, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, when my alarm goes off, first thing I will do is put my running gear on and clock two miles. And then make it even easier. Leave your running shoes out where you're going to see them when you get up. And even set the clothes out. Giving yourself a clear path obvious cues and it may surprise you how much easier this will make it to actually build a positive running habit see lots of people out there think they lack motivation what they really lack is clarity they don't have a plan humans are motivated by the anticipation of reward so making your habit attractive will help you stick to it In 1954, neuroscientists James Olds and Peter Milner ran an experiment to test the neurology of desire. Desire is unbelievably interesting, especially mimetic desire. How we seem to desire the things that other people desire. Anyways, that's a whole nother episode. Using electrodes, they block the release of the neurotransmitter dopamine in rats. To their surprise, the rats simply lost the will to live. They had no desire to eat, drink, reproduce, or do anything else. Mere days later, they all died of thirst. Because they blocked the dopamine, it made you not want to do anything? That's what dopamine does. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter for anticipation everybody thinks dopamine just makes you feel good no that's all the other hormones dopamine is what is released when you complete something when you have done something so anticipation and build up can ramp up dopamine until it's big release the completion But if your dopamine is completely blocked like in these rats, well, you will have no motivation at all. You won't want to do anything. You'll literally lay there until you die, which can be a significant example of why some people that are depressed simply can't get out of bed. Their dopamine is in the gutter. The human brain releases dopamine. We know that. A hormone that makes you feel good. When you do pleasurable things such as eating or after having sex. But this is after. The dopamine is simply an anticipation that these pleasurable activities are going to happen. 
It's the brain's way of driving us onward and encouraging us to actually do things. It's like a hand behind your back pushing you. So in the brain's reward system, desiring something is on par with getting something, which goes a long way towards explaining why kids enjoy the anticipation of Christmas. Well, I sure did when I was younger. Depends on where you're from or if you celebrate Christmas. But you can relate it to lots of different things. Birthdays. It's also why daydreaming about your upcoming hot date is so pleasurable. We can turn this knowledge to our advantage when trying to form habits. If we make a habit something you look forward to, well, you'll be much more likely to follow through and actually do it. A great technique for this is temptation bundling. Mmm, temptation bundling. That's when you take a behavior that you think of as important but unappealing and you link it to a behavior that you're drawn to. One that will generate that motivating dopamine hit. Ronan Byron, an engineering student in Ireland, knew he should exercise more. But he got little enjoyment from working out. Now that's lots of people. So many people probably listening could relate to this guy. However, he did enjoy watching Netflix. Well, me too. And lots of people enjoy Netflix. So he hacked an exercise bike connecting it to his laptop, writing code that would only allow Netflix to run if he was cycling at a certain speed. Wow, what a smart motherfucker. By linking exercise literally to a behavior that he was naturally drawn to, he transformed this distasteful activity into a pleasurable one. And I can second this by telling you, when I want to do cardio, my treadmill is set up in front of a TV. So, when I want to get an hour, hour and a half cardio done, I'll play Xbox. Video games, because I do like video games. I love video games. Or I'll watch a Netflix show or something like that. You know what? I'll crank the freaking incline up and the speed up and just go at it and just mow through burning calories, be soaked in sweat, and not even hardly realize I'm done by the time 60 or 90 minutes blinks on the thing and it says I'm finished. It's amazing. So, think about ways you can do this. You don't have to be an engineer to apply this to your life. If you need to work out, but you want to catch up on the latest gossip or bullshit or news, you could commit to only reading magazines while you're at the gym or on the treadmill or on the bike, whatever it is. If you want to watch sports, but you need to make sales calls, promise yourself a half hour at ESPN after you talk to your 10th prospect. See, you, you're linking rewards to what you're doing. The habit you're trying to build, you're linking a reward to it. A habit you don't like, it's distasteful. I'm not uh, enthused about it. I don't want to do it. Link something that you love or something that will give you pleasure to it as a reward. Soon enough, you may even find that the unattractive tasks become enjoyable since you'll be anticipating 
the pleasure that you know you're going to get while carrying out the duty. Yeah, buddy. So if you want to build a new habit, make that habit as easy to adopt as possible. Not hard. Don't decide to do something horribly difficult and link no reward to the outcome of you completing this. We often spend a lot of time on behaviors that are easy. Scrolling through social media, for example, takes zero effort, so it's easy for it to fill up lots of our time. Doing 100 push-ups or studying Mandarin Chinese, in contrast, that requires a lot of effort. Repeating those behaviors daily until they became habitual, well, that would be tough. So making behaviors an easy thing. That's the whole key to turning them into a habit. Luckily, there are tricks that we can now embrace to make anything seem easier. The first is to focus on reducing friction. Here's an interesting habit. There is this lady that keeps a box of greeting cards at home. And they're pre-sorted by occasion, just like you'd see at the store. This makes it easier for her to send congratulations or condolences or whatever is called for in the situation. Since she doesn't have to go out and buy cards when someone gets married or has an accident, there's no friction involved in sending one. You see what I'm saying? Reduce the friction. You can also use this approach to increase friction for bad habits. If you want to waste less time in front of the TV, unplug it and take the batteries out of their mode. Doing so will introduce friction to ensure you only watch when you really want to because you're going to have to go through this habit of plugging shit in, putting the fucking batteries back in the remote. Oh, you make it a pain in the ass. The second trick for making a habit easier in the long term is the two-minute rule, a way to make any new activity feel manageable. The principle is that any activity can be distilled into a habit that is doable within two minutes. You want to read more? Don't commit to reading one book every week. Instead, make a habit of reading two pages per night. Want to run a marathon? Commit to simply putting on your running gear every day after work. The two-minute rule is a way to build easy, achievable habits, and those can lead you on to greater things. You'll upscale them eventually. Once you've pulled on your running shoes, you're probably going to head out for a run. I mean, why else would you put your shit on? Some people, when you start out, you may just go, well, I did it. Good. I put that on. Just like going to the gym. I pulled into the gym parking lot. I walked in. I walked out. You made it there. But if you keep following through on the habit, then you're eventually going to run or you're going to go into that gym and you're going to do a workout for 10 or 15 minutes. And then it's going to be a little bit more and a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? You've you've read your two pages of the book that you were going to read. Now you're going to continue. 
The rule recognizes that simply getting started is the first and most important step towards doing something. Let's take a look at the final rule for using habits to improve your life. Making your habit satisfying immediately is essential to changing your behavior effectively. In the 1990s, public health researcher Stephen Luby, working in the neighborhood of Karachi, Pakistan, achieved a huge 52% reduction in diarrhea among the local children. Pneumonia rates dropped by 48% and skin infections by 35%. What was Luby's secret? Nice soap? Luby had known the hand washing and basic sanitation were essential to reducing illness. The locals understood this. They just weren't turning their knowledge into a habit. Everything changed when Luby worked with Procter & Gamble to introduce a premium soap into the neighborhood for free. Overnight, hand washing became a satisfying experience. The new soap lathered easily and smelled delightful. Suddenly, everyone was washing their hands because it was now a pleasing activity. The final and most important rule for behavioral changes to make habits satisfying. This can be difficult for evolutionary reasons. Today, we live in what academics call a delayed return environment. You turn up at the office today, but the return, a paycheck, which you're there for, doesn't come till the end of the week or bi-weekly or at the end of the month. You go to the gym in the morning, but you don't lose weight overnight. That's delayed. It comes over time. It could take months. Our brains, though, evolved to cope with the immediate return environment of earlier humans who weren't thinking about long-term returns like saving for retirement or sticking to a diet. They were focused on immediate concerns like finding their next meal, seeking shelter, or staying alert enough to escape a fucking saber-toothed tiger. So immediate returns can encourage bad habits, too. Smoking may give you lung cancer in 20 years, but in the moment, you're not getting cancer. It's relieving your stress. You get to take care of that craving for nicotine. It gives you a little buzz, a little boost. It uh, knocks out your appetite, which means you may ignore the long-term effects and indulge in the cigarette. So when you are pursuing habits with a delayed return, try to attach some immediate gratification to them. For example, let's talk about a couple that wanted to eat out less, cook more, and get healthier and save money. To do so, they opened a savings account called Trip to Europe. Every time they avoided a meal, Eating out, they transferred $50, $50 to this account, the trip to Europe account. The short-term satisfaction of seeing $50 land in that savings account provided the immediate gratification they needed to keep them on track 
for the ultimate long-term reward. Thus, they stopped going to eat out as often. It's easier that way. However pleasurable and satisfying we make habits, we may still fail to maintain them. So, how can we stick to our good intentions? You have to create a framework to keep your habits on track using trackers and contracts. Sounds very complicated, right? Nah, come on. Stick with me here. We're making some fucking progress. Whether you're trying to write your journal or give up smoking, managing your own behaviors can be hard. I know that. Thankfully, there are a few simple measures that can help. Habit tracking is a simple but effective technique. Many people have kept a record of their habits. One of the most well-known is founding father of America, Benjamin Franklin. From the age of 20 years old, Mr. Franklin kept a notebook in which he recorded adherence to 13 personal virtues he lined out for himself, which included aims like avoiding frivolous conversation and to always be doing something useful. He noticed, noted his success every night in his journal. You too can develop a habit tracker using a simple calendar or a diary and crossing off every day that you stick with your chosen behaviors. You'll find it effective because habit tracking itself is an attractive and satisfying habit. The anticipation and action of crossing off each day will feel good and keep you motivated or filling in the journal about accomplishing your task. Journaling is good for so many things but for habits too a second technique is to develop a habit contract that imposes negative consequences if you fail to stay on track (laughs) brian harris an entrepreneur from nashville took his habit contract very serious in a contract signed by him his wife and his personal trainer he committed to get his weight down to 200 pounds because he was overweight man he was fucking fat and he knew it health going to shit he identified specific habits that would get him there including tracking his food intake every day and weighing himself each week then he set up penalties for not doing the things that he was supposed to if he failed to track his food intake he would pay $100 to a trainer he had hired. If he didn't track his food, he had to show the the journal to his trainer. He'd be like, hey, where the fuck is it at? What did you, you didn't eat anything today? Tell me the truth. I mean, you're going to hold yourself accountable when you do something like that. Hopefully. You're not going to be a liar. So, if he failed to weigh himself... Then he owed $500 to his wife. This is once a week. Very simple. Once a week, just weigh yourself and you don't owe your wife $500. There's accountability there. You see what the fuck that is? That's accountability. It's above and beyond you. Because you can lie to yourself. You can make excuses to yourself. But when you have to answer to another human being, sometimes that's what it takes. 
The strategy did work. Driven not just by his fear of losing money, which would motivate lots of people, but by his fear of losing face in front of two people he, who mattered to him very much. His trainer and his wife. See, they both holding him accountable. That's, that's a big deal. Humans are social animals. We care about the opinions of others around us. So simply knowing that someone is watching you can be a powerful motivator for success. I can back that up by saying... Yes, I've mentioned before, I did bodybuilding competitions when I was younger. If I wouldn't have followed through on my diet, doing 12 weeks of diet prep and training to get in the shape that it takes to get on stage half naked in a G-string, well, I would have, I basically told all my friends, family, people at the gym that I was doing it, they would have said, what's up? Well, I'd have had to make ton of excuses, lies, all sorts of shit to get out of it. It was a lot easier to not think up all the reasons why when I was having a moment of pity and it hurt so bad and I did, didn't get to eat the foods that I wanted to and I was having to do all the grueling training sessions to just stick to it, to keep doing it. Accountability. I didn't want to have to lie to anybody. I didn't want to have to answer to anybody why I gave up, why I quit. So why not set yourself a habit contract? Even if it isn't as detailed as the guy Harris we talked about, consider making a commitment to your partner. Wife, husband, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever the hell you call them. Set it with your best friend. Or one of your coworkers. If you agree upon a set of consequences for failing to follow through, you'll be much more likely to stick to your habit. And as we have seen, sticking to a positive habit, however small, is a surefire way to achieve big things in life. Key messages here. A tiny change in your behavior will not transform your life overnight, but turn that behavior into a habit that you perform every day, and it absolutely can lead to big changes. Changing your life is not about making big breakthroughs or revolutionizing your entire life. Rather, it's about building a positive system of habits that when combined deliver remarkable results taking you away from the average dividend of the population that does not have any habits but bad habits they succumb to mediocrity and use habit stacking to introduce new behaviors. If you want to build a new habit, you can try stacking it on top of an existing habit. Let's say you want to start meditating, but you're struggling to find the time. Try thinking about the things you do effortlessly, like drinking coffee in the morning. Then just stack a new habit on top. Commit to meditating each morning when you finish your coffee. Ten minutes. Start with that. Then build on the natural momentum that comes from a habit you already have. Combine things. It's your life. It's your structure. 
Be creative. Build things that work for you. So if you've learned anything from listening to me, it's habits are freaking powerful. They're a force for good. They're a force for bad. But it can be hard to know how to take stock of your existing habits and harder still to make decisions about the future. Which good habits you should cultivate and which bad habits you got to throw out the fucking window and get rid of. Got to shed that shit. Trim the fat, so to speak. You know what I'm saying. So anyways, listen up. If you've enjoyed this episode on habits, please make a comment on whatever podcast service you're listening on. Rate and review. And if you would love to help float the boat to keep me up and going, you can actually support the podcast by donation. By whatever means you're getting to this podcast, there's usually a link that says support the podcast. You can support for a dollar up to $10 a month. I'm putting it out there for free, but I will always be thankful for those who give back. So thank you if you do. I love you. I appreciate you more than you will ever know. And everybody out there in podcast land, I love you anyways. You're all just wonderful human beings trying to get by in this incredibly tough life that is full of bumps in the road traumas to overcome difficulties to be figured out and this is one way we can do it by sharing knowledge and developing habits or getting rid of bad habits hey that's one thing that can do something for us so take care everyone out there and I will catch you on the next one oh and by the way let me give just real quick some Let me give some kudos to who I pulled from for this. James Clear, Atomic Habits. He's the guy that did the research. I can correlate and get with a lot of everything that his research has shown because I have demonstrated and done it and used it in my life. And it absolutely gels with what I just relayed to you. So there you go. James Clear. Check him out. Atomic Habits. That's where this came from. Um, Of course, that's a short little titty bit that I gave you about what I think about the habits from Atomic Habits. So read the whole book, Atomic Habits, from James Clear if you want more. Anyways, take care, and I'll see you next time. Much love. Keep it real. Later. Keeping it real. Do not consider these episodes as medical advice or expertise in any area. I do deconstruct some experts and their material and deliver it to you. But please do all of this at your own risk. Contact keeping it real.
gmail.com.